dad was the state overseer of the state of California, and he invited an evangelist from Macon, Georgia, to come to California and to hold revivals. And we were introduced to Marcus Lamb when he came to our home church. At that time, Marcus was one of the most effective evangelists, uh, not just in the Church of God, but in, uh, in, in many great uh, congregations and was uh, called the Walking Bible. I believe he has about 6,000 scripture committed to memory. Graduated magnum cum laude, did a four-year college um, program in two years, just uh, a sharp knife in the drawer. And uh, when he came, uh, I had a little 67 Mustang hot rod, and I, I just gave it to him while he was there, and he got to enjoy driving that around to his meetings, and uh, we became very close. And, uh, and so the Lord opened some doors for him to purchase a television station in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, that particular time, uh, the Lord had, had pushed me out of the nest, and I was evangelizing, divorced. I was traveling the nation and ministering. And uh, Marcus called one day and said, hey, he said, I'd like for you to be in my wedding. I'm, mar- I'm marrying the girl, my sweetheart, and I'd like for you to be in my wedding. I was in Southern California. And I said, Marcus, I said, I'll come if you'll get me some meetings to preach from California to uh, uh, Georgia. And so he sent probably about eight or ten pastors' names and their phone numbers. And he said, just use, just use my name. And that kind of opened the door for me to leave California. And to do, I, just, I did something in Phoenix. I did something in El Paso. I did something in Little Rock and literally preached all the way to the wedding. We have been friends now 38 years. We've been involved uh, in their family, in their, in their ministry. Uh, we've appeared several times on their program. been very much blessed by Daystar. Daystar has been very, very kind to us, and we have a special place in our heart. Although we've been on TBN, we enjoy that. We just, we just love the way that Daystar staff treats us. Well, uh, Marcus's son got married, and we were able to go to the wedding to preach a couple of plays, enjoyed that. But Marcus's daughter, Rachel, is getting married next Friday, and uh, they wanted us to come and be there, and we really wanted to go. And, you know, there are times when you just don't have money for three airplane tickets. There are times, you know, you don't have money for three motels and 10 or 15 meals. It's just not there. It's just, it's just not there. You're, you're doing other things. Other things are coming up. You're spending your money. And so we just let them know we love you. We love Rachel. We love her fiancé. And uh, we send our love. We send our, our blessings. And uh, Daystar said, no, that's not going to work. Uh, so Daystar uh, paid our way, paid our motels, paid our, our airfare, uh, our meals. And so we'll be heading out Thursday. Uh, we'll be back uh, a little later in the week. And uh, we are excited to be a part of Daystar and Marcus and Joni's wedding. But I told you um, last Sunday I felt that God had nudged me to sow something. I really didn't have. I really didn't have it. I really didn't have it. But I felt like it was important that I sowed it. We sowed it. Pastor Rhonda asked me, she said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I really feel like that this is what we're supposed to do. And what, to- what turned out to be just a token, it wasn't really a significant seed that would do a lot of damage in the kingdom. Of course, everything is a blessing when it comes from you. God blesses. If it's important to you, it's important to God. And I watched God greatly multiply that seed to, the, to just allowing us to go and, and, and be VIP and be a part of that celebration. 
and uh, we will we will be there. I'm I'm sure John Hagee will be there. I'm sure Joel Osteen will be there. I'm sure Mike Hayes will be there. And it'll be a chance for us uh, to be around ministries right now that are changing the world. And we're looking forward to that, being a part of that. But we just wanted you to know that Daystar has been a blessing to us, and we have favor. Daystar loves this church, has blessed this church several times, and we thank God for that. But sometimes, as, as we mentioned two weeks ago, sometimes it's just a nudge. You never know when you see somebody on the street or you see somebody that's hurting or somebody, you never know. And again, your, your seed may not take care of their problem, but it's a start. But God honors obedience and your, your obedience and God's tithe in our offering. I believe that God, if, let me say this, if God did it for me, then I know he would do it for you. And what is so fun to watch new converts plug into the stewardship principle and then just begin to watch God move and watch God minister. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there's someone here today that's young in the Lord, obeyed the Lord last Sunday and, and, and sowed a seed. He really didn't have to sow. And he went to ask uh, the, the price of a particular vehicle, a second vehicle for the family. And the person he called told them that the price was $1,000, but he could have it for 500 wouldn't you like to go and buy a car and somebody cut the price exactly in half? And without naming names, I just want to tell you, if God did it for him, God will do it for you. you the only thing that you may have to sow is a piece of gum. If it's, if it's that big red, I'll chew it, I'll be blessed, and you too will be blessed. So, again, it's not the amount. Don't ever allow the enemy to mess with your mind and say, well, that dollar is not important. That $10 is not important. Again, if it's important to you, it's important to God. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like for you to go with me to 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, and the 8th verse. 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, and the 8th verse. And this morning, I'll be sharing a brand new word. I've never shared this word before. Uh, and I'm going to entitle it, A Gathering at Bethlehem. A Gathering at Bethlehem. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Four weeks ago, we talked about the power of the blood. Three weeks ago, we talked about the power of the praise. Last week, we talked about restoration, how God took a little woman caught in adultery, turned her into a worshiper, and then allowed her to be the first one to preach the message that the tomb was empty and the king had risen. This morning I felt, and I felt this all week long, this morning I felt that there are things that are going on in your life that you need to be aware of. First of all, let me say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. We do wrestle. We wrestle against four levels of spiritual authority, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There is a battle that has been launched against you. There is a war that has been launched against you. It's launched against anything that will declare the goodness of God, the mercies of God. As a citizen of the United States, I am very embarrassed at this particular season of my life as we get ready to select the most powerful position upon the face of the earth, the most powerful position known to civilization, that is the President of the United States of America. 
I'm embarrassed at the, at the shenanigans. Is that a good word? I'm embarrassed at the plots. I'm embarrassed at the, the plans. And, and you can see evil. You can see the enemy bringing lies. And, and, and again, I'm not here to politi- politically tell you who to vote for. I, would, I wouldn't do that. That's not my job. But I would never vote for anybody that uh, allows... Uh, near-birth abortions, where an instrument is thrust to the head of the baby and then its heart is sucked out of his body. I would never vote. I would never, I would never support anyone that would, that would murder children. I'm sorry. That's just something that that's my standard. And, you know, we believe that God talked to Cyrus and Cyrus read his name and the word of God. And when he read the prophecy that was about him, he turned around. He became a godly king. We are believing that God can raise up a godly man that can run this country and help us get back some of the things that we need. But as you look, as you read, as you see some of the things going on, this is a generation of evil. This is an evil generation, and it's a deadly generation. And today, uh, let me me rephrase that. This year, 1.5 million babies will be aborted in this nation, in this nation alone, 1.5 million babies. I want to remind you that when the Egyptians began to cast the firstborn babies into the river against the, the, the nation of Israel, God raised up a Moses and God delivered them from the hand of Egypt. I believe that God is upset. I believe God is, I don't know if frustrated is a good word. I don't believe that God likes what's going on. And I don't believe that God will tolerate the, the death of, of newborns much longer. I believe the signs of the times are in the air. I believe that we are getting ready to experience what the church knows as the greatest day of history. And that's the sudden coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he will return. The graves will burst open. Then we which are alive and remain will caught up to meet him in the air. And so knowing that's our destiny and knowing that's our inheritance, there are some things this morning that you need to know. I'm going to take 15 minutes, and to many of you that have been a part of us for a while, you already know these things, but I think it's okay to refresh and to be established as to the battle that we are encountering. In the jungle, it has been the, it has been the trap of the younger lions to get downwind of their prey and for the older lion to get upwind of their prey, and that lion that has really no ability to chase or defeat himself will let out a mighty roar. The, the, those in the jungle hear that roar. They're terrified of that roar, and they run away from that roar right into the wedding jaws of the younger lions that are laying in ambush. That's a, that's a tactic of an African lion in the jungles of Africa, how they kill their prey, and then the younger lions will share their prey with the older lion. If the prey had run towards the roar, they would not have been defeated. They would not have been destroyed. And I think a lot of times the enemy as a bully will appear in our life and tell us what it's go- what's going to happen, what's going to be. If we accept it, so be it. If we don't accept it and we say, I'm not going to accept that for my life. I am not going to receive that for my life. I, am not, I don't believe that's going to happen. I believe God can turn it around and do greater things. I believe that you will see a turnaround and God doing greater things. But you need to know what, what the war is all about. And the war is found in the Word of God. Your Bible, if you hold your Bible, get your Bible. Your Bible is written to three generations and three generations only. From the generation of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, which are the, uh, 
recipients of Noah who built the ark. We find from the generation of Shem comes the Israel nation or the wife of God. From the generation of Japheth comes the Gentile or the church, which you are part of. And from the generation of Ham comes the godless. There is a generation that will never accept this Bible. They'll never accept our God. They'll never receive Jesus as their Savior. And they are doomed to perish eternally. Then there's a generation that God is rising up called the church. And that church will resurrect to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll be involved in a wedding and the church will become the bride, and we will be married to Jesus, and we will live with him forever and forever, where they need no candle nor light of the sun, for God giveth them light, and we shall reign forever. That should excite somebody in this house. Then there is the generation, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Watch man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth the Spirit shall reap life everlasting, but he that soweth to the flesh shall reap Corruption. So there's a generation in the Bible that will never accept the things of God, and they will lose everything on that great white throne of judgment. As the Bible is written to three generations, we know that in heaven there were three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. When you find reference to Michael, he was the angel that watched over Israel. He was the Jewish protector. As you look at the ministry of Gabriel, Gabriel was the angel that watched over the church. And as you look at the ministry of Lucifer, Lucifer was the one that led one-third of the angels in praise and worship to the word in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Michael was the director that led the angels in worship to God. Gabriel was the director that led the angels in worship to the Holy Spirit. And Lucifer led the, the worship of one-third of the angels to the word. The Bible says in, in Isaiah 14 and 12 that his heart was filled with pride. He determined that he would ascend his throne above the throne of God, above the stars of God. And because of his pride, which God hates, because of his pride, God judged him, cast him from heaven to earth with one-third of that angelic host, and those angels became demons. We find that Lucifer has raised up a standard against the things of God, the house of God, and has one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to keep Jesus Christ from returning to earth and putting his foot on the Mount of Olives, and that will be the second coming where the world will be judged, the world will be destroyed, and all those get saved during the tribulation will resurrect to meet the Lord in the air. The devil hates you. He hates everything about you. He hates the fact that in a garden there was a dew that came up from the earth. God took the dust and the dew, made mud, and created you and I, and we are the replacement of Lucifer. We now are that angelic choir, that we are that, that choir that worships the Lord, the cross, the resurrection, and his return. Does that excite anybody in this house that you are Satan's replacement? And he hates that. He hates that. In Ezekiel 28, it talks about Satan, talks about some of his attributes. The Bible says he was perfect in all his ways. He was the wisest creature ever created. The Bible says that the workmanship of the tabret and the pipe, those are two very important words. And Tanner will tell you there's only two ways to make music. There's only two ways for you to produce music. You either hit it or you breathe it. Only two ways. There's another way to make music. If you, for you to produce music, you either got to hit it or you got to breathe it. The Bible says the workmanship of his tabrets and his pipes were in him. 
He was the choir director of heaven. He was that praise and worship leader that led angels in worship to God. He knows all about the power of praise. He knows all about the power of worship. He knows what happens when God is exalted and when Christ is. He knows all about that, and he hates that. It frustrates him, and he will do everything he can to keep you from opening your mouth and making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Noise spelled backwards is Zion, and whether you sing like Josh or you sing like Angel, and that's quite a window. You might think it's noise, but to God it's Zion. To God it, it, it introduces you and, and walks you through the presence of God, the purpose of God, and the plan of God. Enemy hates that. He hates worship. He hates sound equipment. He hates instruments. He hates anything that will lead you in worship to God, and he will do everything he can to hinder and stop. Today there was a new song. There was a prophetic song. He hates that new song. He hates that prophetic song. But let me tell you, he cannot be everywhere at one time. He doesn't know it all, and he's not all powerful. I doubt, and, and because we have hosted some of the greatest ministries in the world, there is a possibility that Satan has been in Cleveland. I, I doubt it. He's in, he has a throne over Iran. Iraq is called Persia. And he has, a, he has a literal throne there in the heavenlies. And there he's trying to wreak havoc among Israel. He wants to destroy Israel. Israel has two enemies that uh, if they had the ability to, they would wipe Israel off the face of the map. But that's nothing new to God. God's people have been under attack for 6,000 years. And there's still an army. There's still a remnant. There's still a part of the family of God that will not be destroyed. For God is protecting that remnant and God has sealed them with his power, his protected covering, and the blood of Jesus Christ. The thought or the, the, the place that I wanted to go to today was the fact that every time God does something significant in your life, the enemy, not being able to read the mind of God and not be able to know the purpose and the plan of God, you've you got to remember he was the first one to quote Scripture, the, the devil was the first one to speak the rhema of God when he said to Adam and Eve, hath God said, thou shalt not. But when you, when you look at what he said, it's distorted. He doesn't even know how to quote the scripture correctly because he can't handle integrity. But he is the one that will try to speak things in your heart, speak things in your spirit, cannot read your mind. And I personally believe that when two of you are gathered in his name and you begin to confess your faults one to another, I don't believe he can hear that. I believe that I believe there's interference there in the heavenlies. I believe that there are angels, there are spiritual warriors. And if you would like to know more about that, I would encourage, I, I promise you, I would encourage every single person in this building, without exception, to take it upon them the the, the responsibility of reading This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. I promise you it will change your life. It will change your prayer. It will change your aspect concerning the war that's going on. You cannot see it, but there is a dimension. There's a fourth dimension that we call the spiritual realm. And if you could see over this church, you would see angels, you would see brilliant, you would see swords, you'd see warriors prepared for battle, and you would see them wrestling and pushing back the hordes of hell, the demonic that would like to destroy this church, that would like to hinder this church. But it can't because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when you begin to pray, you ignite, you commission, 
you set forth that angelic host that's been assigned to you to wreak havoc upon the enemy. Do I have a friend in the house? And what you will learn as we look at the life of Jesus, he is our example. As you look at the life of Jesus, every time God gets ready to do something in your life, he sends a special assignment, a special messenger, a special realm of the heavenly host to make it come to fruition. Think about that for a minute. Every time without exception that God gets ready to launch you into something different or launch you into something that he's created you to be launched into, he will send an assignment of angelic hoax to be able to help you accomplish what he said that you can do. He won't put more on you than you can bear, but he will give you the ability to complete the task that he's assigned in you since the day you were born. Did you realize that? That your life has purpose, it has plan, and there are things that only you can do in the kingdom. God didn't call anybody else. He called you. It's your place. It's your position. It is your purpose. The enemy, knowing this, will try his best to frustrate the things of God. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy comes to, there are only three areas of attack the enemy can bring against you. And I know most of you that have been with me for 28 years, you know this. But the enemy has the ability to tempt you. The enemy has the ability to accuse you. And the enemy has the ability to deceive you. Every day when you wake up, you know that sometime during that day, the enemy is going to try to tempt you to do something you know you shouldn't do. Every day. Every day when you wake up, you know that the enemy is going to accuse you and try to hurt you and harm you and make you feel bad about yourself. What many of us don't realize is that not only does the enemy try to tempt and to accuse, and when the, when the Bible says that when the enemy tempts you, the Bible says there's no temptation taken to man that God will give you the ability to resist. So the enemy cannot overtempt you. The enemy cannot tempt you to a degree that you cannot combat that or battle that, but you're empowered by God to say no to the enemy. When the enemy comes to accuse you, the Bible says, blessed are they when you are persecuted for my name's sake. So when you're accused, it actually opens a door for God to, to pour out a blessing and put favor upon you. When you're under attack, the God said, I'll bless you for your effort. I'll bless you for your attack. Can anybody relate? But not everybody gets up every morning saying, you know, today somehow the enemy is going to try to deceive me. But the Bible says many shall be deceived and, and believe a lie. So he strategically tries to either tempt you to do something you know you shouldn't do to disqualify yourself or accuse you to, to, to hurt your walk with Christ, or he'll try to deceive you and walk places you really don't want to walk. 1 Timothy 4 and 1 says, The Spirit says expressively that in the latter times many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So there is a force at work that's trying to distract you, trying to tempt you, trying to destroy you, trying to mess you up. Can anybody relate? When we look at the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem, the devil had no idea what was going on. He never understood. The Bible says in Colossians, had the prince of power, had the prince of power known what he was doing when he crucified Christ, he would have never crucified him. But the devil, the devil was there trying to manifest and make sure that Christ was murdered, not realizing that was all a part of God's plan. Does that help anybody in the building? So when Jesus was being birthed in a little cave, 
It probably wasn't a stable. It was probably a cave. When he was being birthed in a cave, the devil wasn't sure what was going on, but he knew something was going on because the shepherds saw a, a myriad of thousands of angels singing, Glory to God, the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Do you remember that scripture? So there was an angelic presence there at the birth of Christ. It so intimidated the devil that he went to Herod and he convinced Herod to send a band of soldiers to Bethlehem where they killed every baby two years and younger. When you are a newborn, when you are birthed into the kingdom of God, the enemy will do everything he can to try to, try to stop, hinder, destroy that walk with the Lord. I've watched many in 36 years of ministry. I've watched many come with a heavy burden of sin and, and, and all that junk that's attached to that, all the fear and the worry and the trepidation, the depression, the discouragement. I've, I've, I've watched them come to the altar, and then I've watched them gloriously transformed, gloriously delivered. They, they, they left the altar like a butterfly. They left the altar full of joy, full of happiness that God has shut all that junk down and give them a brand, new, a brand new start, a brand new opportunity. But then they never came back. They never fed that spiritual man. They never got around the people of God. They never became a part of the family of God. They came and got delivered and got released and then went right back, right into the environment they came out of and buried themselves again. And the Bible says, when that happens, seven times greater attack comes against you when you're set free and you allow the enemy to suck you back into his trap. The Bible says a seven times greater will come against, will come against you. So when you are just called into, into new life with Christ, the enemy will try to take you out. And he will, I mean, it is so crazy. I'll use an illustration. Nobody here will know who I'm talking about with Pastor Todd and Pastor Rhonda. But uh, there was a kid in trouble, went to prison, uh, was related to someone in our church. We prayed him out of prison. Uh, we prayed him here. God got him here. God delivered him. God turned his life around. God actually gave him the ability to carry a weapon, which is almost impossible for a convicted felon. But God gave him favor. God blessed him. God, God turned his life around. And we watched it. We knew the story. We knew the family. We knew he was in prison. We knew why he was in prison. He came. We loved him. He became a part of the body of Christ, got involved in the things of God. But one day, he, didn't, he wasn't there. And then the next Sunday, he wasn't there. Well, that's about two Sundays, about all that I'll let him be gone. And then I found him. And you know what he told me? He said, we well, you know, he said, I was raised, you know, with the red hymnal. And I can't go to a church that doesn't sing the red hymnal. Something came upon me, and he had he not outweighed me by 50 pounds, I'd have put the spirit of the slap on him. I mean, I looked at him like, really? You were delivered out of a gutter? You were delivered out of the atrocities of prison? You were given a new start, a new life. You can now even carry a gun and hunt, and you're telling me the very church that you came and found all this, you can't come back because we're not singing hymnals? What's wrong with you? Well, I've watched him the past 10 years, still living out of his car, still, still going from whatever job being scrounged up here to whatever job being scrounged up there. And that's exactly the way the enemy doesn't. The enemy does not want you walking in the fullness and the blessing and the favor. 
and when a, new, when a new name is written down in glory, we the church are to embrace them, love them, be there for them. If they're not there, call and find out what's going on. Pray for them, lift them up, be there for them to be able to unload. You can handle it. You can handle their stuff. God has put that in you to hear what they're having to say and to turn around and pray for them. The second time the enemy will come against you is when you're getting ready to birth your ministry. All of a sudden, you're at a place, you've been serving the Lord, you've been growing up, you've been, getting, you've been feeding on the Word of God, and now you feel like it's time to pay back or pay forward. Now you feel like, well, God's putting his hand on me to do something. When that moment in life comes, the enemy will try his best to talk you out of it. When Jesus went into the wilderness to pray 40 days and 40 nights, from that moment, it would begin a journey that three and a half years later would end at a cross. He knew it was time. He told his mom, my time is not yet, but she kind of forced his hand and got him out there to turn the water into wine. He said, okay, my time isn't at hand. I'm getting ready to embark on a journey. The three and a half years from now will end not just at a cross, but at a resurrection. And so he got ready to go into, into <coughs> ministry. He starts praying, starts fasting, and guess who shows up? The devil. Here he is in the wilderness, fasting, praying, 40 days and 40 nights, and three times the enemy tries to steal his praise, tries to steal his worship, and tries to convince him, if you praise me, I'll give you all this. There was a, um, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Black Oak, Arkansas, had an album entitled, We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll. Does that, that sound familiar? Black Oak, Arkansas, the group that sang Jim Danny to the Rescue. Are there, are there packs that you can enter into and make a pact with the devil? According to Mike Warrenke, who at one time was the pastor of the Satanic Church, had several hundred in his coven. He claimed you can. He claimed that you can sell out and you can make a pact with the devil and the devil will do this and this and this. But what a lousy deal. When you're called to go in the presence of God and to love God and to worship God, for you to make a pact with the devil and serve him and worship him and settle for what he has because it's always second best, it's never the best. So when you feel like, okay, it's time now to go in ministry, and sometimes your greatest attack will come from your family. You're going to what? Well, we, you know, the familiarity. Well, you, you can't do that. You can't, you've been this all your life. No, I'm not that anymore. Now I'm, now I'm this. I'm getting ready to go. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation because don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. Aren't you glad that you're on that better path, that better way? Aren't you glad that the Lord didn't leave you where he found you, but he has restored you, he's nurtured you, and now he's pressing you forth into, into ministry? The third time or, or the time that the enemy will come and gather and, and try to mess with you is you've got to be very careful that you don't operate, as God uses you to minister, that you don't operate spiritual pride and feel more, feel more of yourself than you ought to. Do you remember when Jesus was asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, some said you're Elijah. Some said you're, you're Jonah. Some said you're John the Baptist. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that? And, Peter, and Jesus looked at Peter and said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this to you. And then, and then Jesus said, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be murdered. And you remember Peter actually took a hold of Jesus, took his arm, 
and shook him and said, no, you're not. And what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me. He wasn't talking to Peter. But there was an entity standing there that the disciples could not see. And it was the devil filling Peter's heart with pride and Peter, filling up Peter's heart with self-worth. And Peter actually had the audacity to hold, on, to hold on to Jesus and shake him and actually try to correct him. And so those are seasons in your life when you can expect the visitation of the Lord. And I wanted to clue because many of us can relate to hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we can relate to detours, distractions, and dead ends. That's exactly the way the, Lord want, the enemy wants to operate in your life. He wants to put you on a detour or he wants to distract you, or he wants you to put on a road that's going absolutely nowhere. I get to thinking about 1 Samuel 15 and 43, and what is going on is that Saul is getting ready to go to battle, and he's called Samuel to come and to bless the troops. And Samuel uh, didn't show up when Saul wanted him to, so Saul disobeyed the Lord, spared the king Agag, spared some of the sheep, and uh, Samuel shows up on the scene, and he said, what's this I hear, the bleeding of sheep? And Saul said, we've saved the very best uh, for God. And Samuel said, no, what you've done is not good. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Then it says this, stubbornness is as idolatry, and rebellion is as witchcraft. That word witchcraft in the Hebrew is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy, where Billions of dollars a year are being made by the, by the pharmaceutical companies by producing these things that actually poison us, hurt us, and harm us. And that's exactly what the enemy would like to do. Instead of allowing you to embrace God, receive the joy and all the things that God has for you, the devil would like for you to, to downclass, to, to degrade yourself by putting chemicals in your body. And, you know, in our, when you think of witchcraft as a child, I remember seeing a witch with the pointed chin, the hat, and the wart, wherever it was, and she had this big vault, and she was stirring it, and she was putting lizard legs in it. She was putting frog hearts in it. She was putting puppy dog. Does anybody remember in, in that mind that, that vault? And that's exactly what the enemy is doing. He's stirring up a vault of pharmaceuticals, trying to put you in bondage, trying to take away your joy, trying to depress you, trying to frustrate you. But again, I remind you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Be sober. It's a serious thing to know that the enemy is wanting to take you out. I remember uh, almost 30, Pastor Ron and I were um, married, and we were dedicating Courtney at the Mount Olive Church of God. We were in, we were in about a... Uh, three-week revival, and uh, I received a phone call from someone that attended that revival and asked me a question about the Satanic Bible, and I told them that I was not their pastor, but in my experience, I would never encourage them to read the Satanic Bible, that uh, they just didn't need to get that in their spirit, they didn't need to get that in their, in their mindset, and uh, that person uh, didn't heed that, disregarded that. That person today is so deep under the bondage of the enemy, homosexuality, drugs, alcohol, the occult, literally is a place where it does not believe there's a God. God can't help her. God can't do anything for her. And, you know, that's why the, that's why the, the Lord gives us the joy of the Lord is our strength and the peace that passeth all understanding, that everything that we're looking for in a bottle or a pill or a needle, 
we can find in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And hopefully your joy is contagious. Hopefully your joy is, is you're, you're, you're encouraging others in your joy, ministering to others in their joy, and sharing the testimony of one who had been uh, bound for 25 years by drugs and alcohol, said, Pastor, today I feel free. I feel free. Aren't you glad he who the Son sets free is free indeed? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this worship. We thank you for the families that have come together. We thank you for the new song, the prophetic song. We thank you that this morning we've learned a little bit more about the enemy. There's a heaven to gain. There is a hell to shine. We pursue heaven as our better country, the place that Abraham looked for. Let us leave this place knowing two things. Number one, the enemy wants to destroy us. Number two, God wants to use us. Let us take the path that we find God will use us. Let us rebuke the enemy and the very core, the very root of what he tries to bring against us in Jesus' name. And they all said, Amen. Thank you for allowing me to go 10 minutes past 12. But uh, I hope this morning you were fed and you were blessed. I'm going to give you a chance to sow an offering in the kingdom of God, which is different from your tithe. An offering is something you do not out of obedience, but just out of joy. Because the Lord has blessed you a little extra, sometimes you're able to bless the house of God. As Pastor Rhonda mentioned, uh, we have a, uh, a challenge this week, and I believe God will help us meet that challenge. And I think maybe God's going to use you. If you need an offering envelope, lift your hand and 